We have been studying, as you know, in Luke chapter 6. And these matters that Jesus spoke about, that I'll read for us in a moment, are so deep and so difficult that we'll need to probably spend the next two to three, maybe even four weeks, talking about these deep and difficult things. Today, we'll especially talk about this matter of the will, our free will, our free will responses to the people and to their behaviors when we encounter them each day. And know none of this that we're speaking about is new to our day or to our culture. It's been this way almost from the beginning. Because when God first created mankind, he truly did create us in his image. That's very important to understand. By that is meant that we were created in most ways very much like God. Very much like God. And in those first days of existence, mankind, at that time Adam and Eve, began their life with attributes and desires and a will that would have looked almost exactly like God. Pure and holy. And though it's not said within these scriptures, I believe that it's safe to believe that Because these first two people, Adam and Eve, had the Holy Spirit so full within them, they had most all of the precious attributes of the Holy Spirit dwelling there also. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and especially self-control. Self-control. And they were fully able in those first days to obey all that God desired for them to be and to do. But again, along with all of those good and righteous attributes, the image that God put into Adam and Eve also included a will. And it was a will that was in many ways just like God's. But unfortunately for Adam and Eve, their condition of being was only an image of God. They were like him. They were like him, but they were not exactly as him. As God was. God was and is perfect. Perfect in every way. He's righteous and he's holy. And he's able to know and to do all things in a righteous and holy way. And especially he is powerfully able to absolutely control all of his desires and behaviors in every situation. In every circumstance. But not so with Adam and Eve. Not so with Adam and Eve. Because again, Adam and Eve were only an image of God and not a God themselves. And they were not able to be exactly like God. And when it came time then for them to experience temptation, both from within their own flesh and from the devil, they through their own abilities were not able to control their emotions and their desires. They didn't have that perfect self-control that God had. And because of the freedom that they had with their will, they were able to make wrong choices, wrong decisions, and they did. And within that one defining moment, Adam and Eve lost every vestige of goodness that God had created within them, and they had become corrupt. They had become corrupt. They immediately lost that freedom of the will that they had before they sinned. And then they became a slave to their new nature, 
this new sinful nature that had been born within them. A nature then that held them captive to a new and different behavior and conduct. A nature that was now unable, unable to choose those things that were truly righteous and holy. Every future choice that Adam and Eve would make would be tainted by desires for sin and for self. Folks, most people don't realize what took place there in the garden and just how terrible that it was for the human personality behavior. Because at that point, once they lost the ability to actually exercise a free will to do right things, everything had changed. And then also, unfortunately, that same condition of soul that became theirs, that sin nature would then be passed along to every child that was born to Adam and Eve and to every child born to their children and their children's children throughout all of time, you and me. Which then leads us to this precious gospel that we have before us today. Here, as we've been studying in this book of Luke, we find that God has given us the perfect answer to the dilemma that mankind has been suffering throughout all those days since Adam and Eve. Here and all throughout the precious gospels, we're being told that the Lord Jesus has come to earth to change all of that corruption that took place within man's free will. Folks, there are whole denominations that treasure this ability to have a free will. And I must tell you that as I look at my own free will, it's not a gift to me. It's where I usually go wrong. I pray constantly for my will because I want it to be the will of God the Father. But too often it's my own will. Folks, for those who have received Christ as their Savior and Lord, He now has brought a new life and a new promise for our will and has given us some new abilities to help us as we deal with the corruption that has filled us for so long and also to deal with the corrupt conditions that surround us in our daily lives. And part of the blessed condition of this new life that Jesus has brought to us, he's telling us about here in these precious instructions about righteousness. And we read about that today here in Luke chapter 6. Listen to these words. Beginning in verse 27. I read these for us last week. Let me read them for us again. These again are deep and difficult matters of life. He tells us there, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, unbelievers... For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. 
And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Folks, God has so many wonderful attributes. And He wants us to have those attributes within our own souls. And we ask ourselves when we read verses such as the ones I just read, how is that possible for me to do? It's only possible through the power of His Holy Spirit. You know, folks, God has many wonderful attributes Himself. And it seems that all of His attributes are undergirded by one thing, and that is holiness. Yes, God is love, but His holiness also requires Him to be just. And because God is just, both He and we are held accountable to be and to do right things like those that we were just reading about. These instructions that I just read from the Lord Jesus They are truly precious. And they express the holy and righteous desires of God's heart. But for us, as we read them, because of all this corruption that we have been so accustomed to harboring within our souls most all of our lives, these instructions really can seem to be daunting to us. Impossible for us to do. These responses that Jesus tells us that we need to have, they're so completely foreign to that which we are accustomed to doing and thinking. And again, as we read them, our hearts cry out, how can I do that? How can I be the way he wants me to be? As I pondered these words, and I've pondered them often, I was first taken back to the book of First Peter, where we're given the command from God about holiness. And I would invite you to read this for yourself in First and Second Peter. There he tells us to be ye holy. And to be holy in all of your conduct. That's what he was telling us there in those words that I just read. Listen to this, what he tells us in First Peter 1. He says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. We're not to be like we were before. We don't just get saved and do the same thing that we did yesterday. Not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you to be holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Folks, those are deep and difficult commands. I've often considered this requirement for holiness. Now again, in light of these words that I just read by the Lord Jesus, as I consider all of what those words require of me, I have to confess to you 
that I'm intimidated by the possibilities because the manner in which these words are given to us is not just some general statement of life circumstances. These words are actually commands from God. They are commands that you and I must obey. And the usual understanding that we have about such commands is that if God commands us to do something, then I ought to be able to do it. That God would never command me to do something that is beyond my abilities. I have heard that preached from pulpits so many times. But folks, that's not so. God does give us commands that we're not able to do through our own strength. It's one of those special mysteries that God has designed into your and my sanctification that reaches beyond all of our human abilities to comprehend. In these words, Jesus is actually commanding us to do something that truly is impossible to do, for us to do within the strength and the abilities that we got in our natural birth. And that leaves us in a dilemma. What are we to do? Thankfully, God is gracious, and He does not leave us at that impasse. He quickly reveals answers within His Scriptures that we might never have seen before. And that's one of the reasons why I keep encouraging you to read your Bibles daily, because there are sweet answers to these mysteries right here within these Scriptures. And one of those is in 1 Corinthians 1.30, where we're told that it is of God that Christ has become in you wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. Think about those words. It is of God that Christ Jesus has become within you, within me. Wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. Now simply put, those words tell us that that impossible thing that God requires of you and me, which is holiness... He accomplishes Himself by breathing the Spirit of Christ and His holiness into our spirit, enabling us then to be holy as He is holy. And just as God does not require you and me to redeem our own souls from our sins, neither does He require us to make our own selves holy. He knows that we can never do that, even with our best efforts and abilities. And so he accomplishes our holiness by putting his Holy Spirit of Christ within us to enable us to do things that we cannot do otherwise. But now that does not mean that there's no requirement of us. There is. And it's deep and it's difficult. And it's those things that Jesus was talking to us about there in those verses. But to do those, God requires you and me to do that which I have said to us so often from this pulpit, it requires a surrender. A surrender of every jot and tittle and every part of our souls to Him so that He can bring His wisdom, His holiness, His righteousness, and His redemption into our soul, into our character, into our responses. And yes, it is truly a very difficult thing to achieve. But it's the only plan that's really going to work if we ever hope to be holy and to be able to get about doing the things that Jesus speaks about here in our text. And we can do it. We can do it through the power of His Spirit. Now later on in Second Peter chapter 1, God explains the provision that He makes for you and me 
and the transition that will take place if we'll surrender ourselves to his spirit. He tells us, listen, he says, his divine power, this is Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Think about that, folks. His divine power has given you, me, everything that we need to carry out all of those things that he told us about. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us a very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate, listen, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that are caused by evil desires. We can escape all of those things that we read about there in that passage. That's an amazing reality that's taken place within you and me already if we have Christ as our... From that first moment that we took that step to receive the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior, God's Spirit immediately began to indwell our spirit and to give us answers that we never had before. And especially the solution to the dilemma of how a wretch like me can become holy. An impossibility that becomes possible. But again, as we know, His holiness is not just miraculously implanted within us. Much effort is required of us. Much effort is required of us. And why is that so? Why does He require something of us if He can be our holiness for us? Why does He require us to take part in it? It has to do with verse 35 that we read from our passage here in chapter 6. Here He tells us, But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Folks, in Christ, you and I have become adopted sons and daughters. We have become actual sons and daughters of God. We have become family members with Him. And we have family responsibilities as sons and daughters of God. His children. Hired men and servants... They don't own the kingdom and they don't have those responsibilities and obligations as does the king and as does his sons and daughters like you and me. And the king and his sons and daughters must be diligent to learn about and to tend to the responsibilities of the kingdom. May I just take an aside here for a moment. As I watch the arrogant nature of some of the, especially one of the sons or the grandsons of the Queen of England and his wife, how they have abandoned all of their responsibilities within that kingly line. They don't want to do any of these things that are required of them in their position within the family of the King and Queen of England. And it's breaking the hearts of most of those people within that kingly line. And God is saying to us, that we can't be that way. We are sons and daughters of the king. And we have to be diligent to learn about and to tend to the responsibilities of the kingdom of God. What are those responsibilities? The first responsibility is that we must allow ourselves to be trained up in the ways that befit those sons and daughters of the king. 
And we can read about that on down in Second Peter chapter 1. Listen, it first begins with the faith. The faith that you and I have as we receive Christ as our Savior. And then it goes from there. And we're to add to that faith, he tells us in verse 5 of Second Peter 1. He says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. You and I are to learn virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Folks, these things that we would learn within these few words would take us a long way in our being able to accomplish that which Jesus told us that we needed to do in this passage that we just read. These words, these are the very personality and nature of God the Father. And they are to be also your and my way. Our personality, our new nature as God's sons and daughters. And we're to show forth His nature every moment because we represent Him as we go about our day, as we interact with all of those difficult people of our day. And as we do that, listen to these words. He says, For if these qualities that I just read about are yours, and they are increasing, and they have to be increasing all of the time, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can begin to do these things that the Lord Jesus spoke about here a moment ago. As sons of God, children of the King, we need to be trained up and to stay trained up in the very nature and personality of the King. And to the extent that we are, we'll then be able to respond to the world and to the ways of this world with a personality of holiness. We'll not be like the rest of this world. We'll be different. And that's also a strange part of this mystery that the Lord Jesus is speaking to us about here. The mystery of holiness allows us to walk within the world but not be a part of it. How often have you heard those words that we're to be in the world but not a part of it? But that's what he's commanding us to do. This mystery of holiness allows us to walk within the world but not be a part of it, to remain separate from it. As the Spirit of Christ lives within us, He'll convict us and He'll convince us to continually pull ourselves out and away from the ways and the behaviors of this world. And folks, we need to be able to accept that kind of separation and agree with it and do it. Why do I mention that? It's because most of the time, We want to be Christians and we want to go to church on Sunday and we want to do all those Christianly things. But then we find ourselves intermingling back in with that old crowd that we used to enjoy being around before we were saved. But we cannot remain a part of that world. We cannot remain yoked together with it and participate in its ways and still hope to be holy. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us, listen to these words. He says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Bilal, the devil? What accord has Christ with the devil? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God 
with idols, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, he tells us, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Folks, from the first moment that you and I received Christ as our Savior, we truly did become sons and daughters of the King of Glory. And we were no longer to be a part of and have a place of living within the habits and the behaviors and the lusts that were once ours before we were saved. And we must intentionally separate ourselves out from all of them, else we'll lapse right back in to being a part of them. We dare not underestimate the power of that old life and those old lusts that still remain within us because that allure is really great. It really is strong. The world and its lusts are in many ways like an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend that we had before we were married. He or she still comes around to flirt with us and to, to tempt us to come back to them. And they offer those very same lusts that we once enjoyed so much. But folks, we dare not give in to their temptations. We must continually remind ourselves that we have been changed in Christ, we have a new bridegroom, and we are His bride, forever united with Him as one. And in Him, we have a whole new life, and we now have a greater, much more needful obligation before us that we must separate ourselves out from that old life. Let me say that again. In Christ, we have a whole new life, and we now have a much greater and much more needful obligation before us. And you and I must separate ourselves out from that old life. New behaviors really must be developed and practiced. Behaviors that truly do befit the sons and daughters of the King. And that's what Jesus is explaining to us here in our scripture passage today. Here he's saying to us, yes, before you were saved, you did try to do things in a way that seemed right to you. You tried hard, but it didn't work. He's saying, but now you can be different and you must be different. Listen to these words again. Very difficult words, but words you and I must obey. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Can you name one enemy that you truly love right now? Folks, I can't. I want to. I'm able to, he tells me, by the power of his spirit. And so I want this. He says, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone that asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, don't ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Mm. Difficult, difficult commands that truly are possible for you and me with Christ living within us. Folks, these words describe a differentness that's beyond anything that we have ever known before. 
while these words do sound like a collection of do's and don'ts, there's so much more than that. They are part of us being different and separated out from that kind of lifestyle. And yes, the words of each of these verses take us against the grain of our ordinary behaviors. And our pride causes us to reject these humble responses. Folks, when someone is cursing you to your face, he tells us that we are to respond with humility. We, by nature, want to defend our own position. And we also want to keep the possessions that we work so hard to own. But here God is reminding us to take a close look at our attitudes, especially towards our pride and our possessions. Are our pride and our possessions worth the cost of perhaps our own soul or the soul of others? Is not the soul of another person worth a few moments of discomfort and inconvenience on our part? If we were to humbly give up our right to ourselves in matters like these, who knows, folks? Who knows? We might, by our behavior, somehow win the heart of another person to Christ. Would you not enjoy, as you someday stand in judgment, having another be a witness there in judgment before the Lord of glory, saying, that one, that one, he or she humbled themselves, and they treated me justly, even when I was very unjust to them. And because of that, I was changed. So then, these words as I close. I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise.